Welcome to the Pit Box Podcast. I'm John Satori. This is episode six. Uh, by the way, we've joined up with Spotify, so you can now hear us via that platform as well as where you'd normally get your podcasts from. Well, what a race. 2020 continues to deliver the drama on and off the track. Lewis fans had to put on hold celebrations for another couple of weeks, at least the breaking of Michael Schumacher's record of 91 race wins. Of course, it's, it's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. James Underhay and I will be taking a look at the race, uh, the drama that unfolded before it even got underway. I'm going to pick that apart as well. And, um, you know, there's been a lot said about what happened and Lewis's reaction. And, of course, I stirred up the Luminati during the week as well, suggesting that Alonso was overall a better driver. And, look, I'm going to outline the reasons why, Okay, It's not any anti-Lewis sentiment. It's just an opinion. Anyway, all that is coming up on the Pitbox Podcast, Episode 6. So we'll get to the race review with James Underhay in just a moment. Before we get to that, Lewis Hamilton and what happened, the drama across the weekend. And to get it right in chronological order, let's start with qualifying. And uh, how about that? 1.1 seconds is all he had to get that car across the line to complete a uh, flying lap in Q2 and get a time on the board. Of course, his previous one had been taken off him because of of track limits. And then the red flag with Sebastian Vettel and the Ferrari going into the wall. And it really, I mean, it reminded me of the way qualifying used to be before we have this uh, three-stage qualifying, which I much preferred. I I can understand that uh, TV broadcasters didn't want to be paying for an hour's worth of F1 action when they sort of got 40 minutes of just looking at the track and then, say, 15 to 20 minutes of action. So I completely get why it had to change. It's just uh, unfortunate because I just think that last moment rush of all cars, drivers getting out there, jostling for positions, someone not making it, you know, the later you leave it, the higher the risk, of course, of of not getting a time in or hitting traffic, but you might also nail it and get pole position. I just love that thrill. And we don't really get that now. Um, nowhere near as uh, much as, as, as what we're used to. I think it's probably the best way we can do qualifying at the moment um, to appease you know, all stakeholders, if you like, but uh, I prefer it the old way. But anyway, it was an incredible qualifying. And of course, in the end, he ended up on pole position. It doesn't put, uh, didn't put him off. And of course, what does put Lewis Hamilton off? It's very difficult uh, to put Lewis Hamilton off, but uh, it was in the end, probably going to be Lewis, um, sorry, uh, Valtteri Bottas, because Bottas by chance started in P3 uh, he was always going to be favoured to win that race. I mean, you're never going to count out Lewis Hamilton anyway in any situation. Um, but Bottas with the, the, the harder medium tyre starting on those uh, and from P3 where you're going to get that slipstream down to the first corner, um, there was always a, a bigger chance that Bottas was going to nail that. And of course, it's um, a pretty successful circuit for him as well. He's won twice here. He's got a one pole position and five podiums. So... It's, I think, second only to Austria as far as uh, how successful Valtteri Bottas has been at a race circuit. So it's a favourite for him, and it turned out to be that way. And, of course, you start to look at, say, well, would Lewis, without that 10-second penalty, which we're going to discuss in just a moment, would Lewis have been able to reel in Valtteri Bottas? After the second stops, let's look at that point. I mean, obviously, Lewis came in first because he had the soft compounds on, and he had to. He was hoping to get a little bit more uh, life out of them. I think he said because of the safety car, he was hoping to get another six laps, but uh, Bono told him to come in and get them off and get the next set on. And uh, to be honest, I I do know that there was very little, there was only about a tenth or maybe two tenths of a second um, with race fuel on board time-wise, lap time-wise between the medium, uh, sorry, the the soft to the medium and the medium back to the hard. Um, So there wasn't really a lot. 
Um, there was a bigger gap. I think Pirelli had it down to about six or seven tenths of a second, but that was with quality uh, fuel on board, which is obviously very light. And so that gap was rather bigger. But in race mode, there was not that much of a difference uh, around Sochi between the two, uh, the three compounds, and particularly the medium and the hard. But anyway, when um, uh, Hamilton came in, obviously, um, he had to go on to uh, the, the, uh, the next set of harder tyres. And he would have been running on, and he was going to be running on those longer. And when Bottas did come in, of course, uh, he was able to um, uh, take the lead of the race at that point. And it was 15 seconds, I think, 15 point five seconds he was ahead of Lewis Hamilton at that point so you take the 10 seconds off for the penalty that Hamilton served in the pit lane when he came in for his uh, pit stop and that's still a good five second lead now you still wouldn't not necessarily back Lewis Hamilton to reel in (laughs) Valtteri Bottas at that point but it's it's more than likely that Bottas would have been able to hold on with a five and a half second lead in fresher tyres as well if Hamilton had been on the same set of tyres then um, I think maybe that or, you know, if, if Hamilton had started on the medium tyres, then I think maybe that might have been a bit different, but I don't think it would have made any difference. Anyway, it was what it was. So let's uh, talk about what happened with Lewis Hamilton. And, of course, he did get the 10-second penalty. It happened about uh, half an hour, from just a little bit more over than that, uh, before the start of the race when he did his practice starts um, in the wrong area. Now, the thing is, people say, well, yeah, now, did he? There's you know arguments for both sides. 19 of the 20 drivers got got it right, and one didn't. Now, Lewis was trying to find a, a piece of track where the grip levels, the rubber levels, were sort of more a representative of what you'd find on the start-finishing line, and that's why he went a little bit further. He asked the team, could he do that, and he did. They didn't see where he had done his first uh, burnout, his first start, sorry, I shouldn't say Bernard, his first uh, practice start. And when they saw the second one, they say, I mean, Andrew Shovelin has said it, didn't see the first one when we saw the second one, we thought they're not going to like that, i.e. the FIA and stewards. Uh, now, given, yeah, it wasn't dangerous. And also, you know, there were event notes given out prior to the races to where it could be done and, you know, right-hand side after the pit exit. But, and he was hoping, and that's what, this is Andrew Shovelin saying that we thought it might have been ambiguous enough that we would have just got a telling off. Well, that wasn't the case. The, the, the stewards obviously felt that it wasn't, you know, ambiguous enough. But, and then, you know, look, 19, as I say, 19 of our 20 cars went to the correct position. Lewis went too far and went further down and it wasn't dangerous. And that's the reason why he um, had the two penalty points taken back off his license after they were first of all imposed. And I think that's the correct decision as well. Um, but, you know, he, Andrew Shovelin saying that, you know, it wasn't a complete surprise that, um, you know, that the FIA didn't like it and that we're possibly in trouble. And I think you've just got to cop that on the chin. I, and I, I get that, you know, the, I have no problem at all with Lewis Hamilton being frustrated in the car and what he said over the radio, you know, don't like this, et cetera, et cetera, and swearing and whatever, because, you know, every, he's not the first driver to do it. He's not going to be the last. It's going to happen. You know, you, you're there to win. You're doing whatever you can. And particularly when he's getting so close to these records. And, and you know, Lewis is a guy who likes to have records. And he's very close. And he's going to get it. He's definitely going to get it. You know, it's another two races. In, he's in the best car. It's the car that has um, won, what, all of but one race, I think, this week, this year. So, you know, it's not like it's not going to happen. But I was just most disappointed with what he said afterwards when he said, they're trying to stop me. Now, that calls into question the integrity of the FIA and the stewards, and I don't think that is fair. I really don't. I think that that is the thing that I don't like about what Lewis Hamilton and how he reacted. Everything else is fine. You know, it's, it's just, you know, 
it's passion. And, and I think, you know, Lewis does have a tend to, I, in my opinion, tends to overplay the passion a little bit um, and the drama. But I, I just think that that, calling into question the stewards as to why they would give him a penalty, in the top of their minds, it's not, well, we don't want him to win, so uh, let's give him a 10-second penalty or a five-second. You know, sorry, that just doesn't come into it. Now, what has been good, but I don't think he's gone far enough with this, is that he has tweeted something. And he says, I may not always get it right in the face of adversity. I may not always react the way you want me to when tensions are high. But I'm only human after all, and I am passionate about what I do. I'm learning and growing every day, and I'll take my lessons and keep fighting on to the next one. Thanks to those who continue to support me, blah, blah, blah. Um, which is, you know, okay, fine. I, I think I would have liked to have him, for him to have said in that, um, I take back what I said about them trying to stop me. Because as I say, it, it, it's sort of sinister intentions there. I mean, particularly in the current climate, um, you know, I, I just don't think that was the cleverest thing to say. And I, I think, it, you know, he should have probably, he should have been advised to say, I think you need to take that back because you're calling into question the integrity of the referees. They may not always get it right either, Lewis. You know, but they had X amount of time to to make their decision and they made their decision and they dealt out the penalty based on the um, the guidelines that they're given. It hasn't gone your way, fine. But don't, and, and, and you know, react to that and be disappointed and be, you know, swear and whatever you like on 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 radio i mean I, I didn't think it was a nice thing you know how he's um you know how he uh, reacted in the interview the podium interview with johnny herbert johnny herbert's a lovely guy and you know you've just got to uh, cop that and it's along the same lines of as what happened to uh, sebastian vettel in canada when he lost that win and you know vettel sort of went even further than what lewis did you know moving the uh, the, the the podium position boards of one from his car across to lewis's etc the one and the two but you know i I don't see why someone should get away with calling into question the referee's integrity because you're essentially accusing them of cheating, isn't it? By saying they just want to stop me, that there's ulterior motives at play. And that's what I don't agree with. As I say, everything else, the other reactions, fine, fine, fine. But anyway, it is what it is. And it's always a little bit of drama when it comes to uh, Formula One. And that's great. It's part of the sport. Um, As long as at the end of the day, we can all say, yes, it is at the end of the day, just sport it is just a race and we don't all have to agree with each other yeah so let's take a look at what happened at the russian grand prix in sochi of course it was a race win to valtteri bottas of course he was in some ways favorite even though he didn't start on pole position but we always knew that pole position was a poisoned chalice and that p3 really was the place to be and of course uh, valtteri was also starting on the medium tire and of course we i suppose joined by james underhay first james qualifying initially on the saturday i mean there was a, a fair amount of drama involved with that with lewis just managing to get a um, a lap underway before he was sort of going to be, you know, booted out of quali. Yeah, absolutely. It was uh, it was quite exciting to watch. I mean, part of me is uh, as sick as it sounds. You know, wanted him to miss that uh, that that deadline coming over the line because <laughs> I think he would have been what down in somewhere like thirteenth or fourteenth at that point uh, and wasn't going to get a, another run. But they managed to make it happen. Uh, and as per usual with Lewis, you know, he went out and, and did the business uh, on the Saturday. And uh, you know, must be tough for Valtteri in that situation because. He does seem to uh, to kind of beat him so often in practice uh, and, and talk the talk. 
and then Lewis goes out and pips him uh, in quality. But uh, yeah, it was it was an interesting session. Yeah, and, and of course, it's it's not to say that we don't want to see Lewis, you know, doing as well as he does. But I mean, for one, to have someone potentially a different podium without Lewis on it, uh, simply for having a different podium, but also, um, you know. To watch Lewis cut through a field as well would be quite interesting rather than see him lead from the front all the time. Oh, I agree. I agree totally. And it, it's a shame that obviously it takes these sort of bizarre circumstances to actually create that drama. Mm. Um, you know, that's something that, 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 will, that will change in time, hopefully, with new regs, etc. But yeah, to watch Lewis come through the field. I mean, the only thing I would say about that is, um, you know, it, it really highlights the fact that Lewis got back to third pretty easily, let's be honest um in in double quick time does highlight the the gulf between uh the cars in terms of performance and where mercedes are but um yeah you know seeing valtteri up there the drama that monza created with the mistake obviously from the mercedes team bringing lewis in when they did you know it takes that sort of event but it does create a slightly more exciting race yeah, it certainly does. And, you know, Max Verstappen did well. Of course, you know, Lewis, he had that 10-second penalty. And uh, without delving too deep into that as to why, whether or not it should have been, um, that in some ways I don't think would have really helped him anyway because after – I mean, he was on the soft tyres, so he was always going to be coming in earlier, uh, even though the, the, the safety car helped him a little bit extend the life of those tyres. And I think we heard him on the radio say he wanted to stay out for another six laps longer than what they brought yeah. him in for, didn't they? But – um, really, Bottas was in the, the the prime seat there because he could run longer on those medium tyres. But when he did come in and came back out, Lewis, I think in the end, was about 15 seconds behind him. You take the 10 seconds off and Lewis was still five seconds behind him on older tyres. So the chances were that Bottas was going to win this anyway. Yeah, sure. And you mentioned, obviously, the, uh, the start being so critical and, and Bottas putting himself in a position where... He managed to clear Max pretty quickly, um, obviously going into uh, T1. So um, it would have been interesting, I think, potentially just to have seen how it would have played out. Were they a little closer to each other on track? Because it could have been that you may have seen them go a bit more head to head, potentially, um, given the the, the situation. But um, either way, great result for Valtteri, obviously. And uh, I'm sure Max is pretty happy spitting the Mercs again. Yeah, that's right. I mean, let's you know, let's uh, start to run through what uh, what happened and who ended up where. Um, uh, Checo Perez, I suppose we've been talking a lot about. Uh, f- uh, I was about to say Force India Racing Point. Uh, Perez, we know he didn't have the upgraded uh, uh, racing point on the weekend, but he still did a great job in qualifying P four and also in the race as well. Yeah, absolutely. Very solid performance from Checo. I thought, given the circumstances. Um, you know, he mentioned in the week that he's been disappointed with Racing Point's reaction towards him in terms of hiding data and stuff like that, obviously, over the course of uh, the last uh, week or so. So for him to go out and do that, I thought it was great. Real sort of solid underlining of his ability, um, certainly to the rest of the Racing Point team, as well as his potential suitors. Yeah, I mean, it would have been nice for Stroll to have continued on, obviously, and he got tagged a little bit by Leclerc. I don't think... I don't agree with what Stroll said as far as, you know, that Leclerc should have got a penalty. I think that was just a racing incident once we saw the replays of that. But it would have been nice just to see Stroll, whether or not he could actually have brought that car closer because he had the better car, he had the upgrades. And, of course, there is that still that little irky thing of he got the seat and Checo didn't. And did they make the right decision? Yeah, you know, it's... Um... It was tough watching him go out, actually, because he was kind of minding his own business, wasn't he? Um, <laughs> and, and like you say, it was, for me, it was a, it was a racing incident. Um, you know, the guys, it's so tight, it's so bunched on that, that first lap or two. And unfortunately, they, they touch. But, um, you know, it's 
the, the rest of the race where he would have ended i don't i don't know it's it's hard to say i think he uh he started he down in 12th so he he, might, he probably would have ended up in the points wouldn't he i'd say i i think he would have got points but i'm not sure it would have been a, a glory drive to to get past checker anyway no no that's true um of course daniel ricardo uh, he started fifth uh, he ended up fifth, which is, you know, Checo uh, finished where he started as well. And, I mean, we're going to get on to the whole penalty thing shortly, but a lot of people have been saying on um, on social media about Daniel Ricciardo's attitude to uh, getting the, the news about a five-second penalty. And he said, right, I'm going to drive faster um, without getting too deep in it because you can upset too many people. But that's, a, <laughs> that's the right attitude, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it came at such a bad time for Lewis, really, for, for Danny Rick to come out and say that because... Danny Rick's response was just greeted, uh, you know, globally with positivity. You know, that's how it should be. That's how you should deal with it. You made a mistake, suck it up, get on with it. Uh, and he did. And um, I thought it was a great drive, personally. Yeah. No, I think he, he did well. And, of course, you know, that Renault is doing very well. And, of course, he'll be looking at the, what happened with the McLarens. And, of course, you know, it wasn't a great – he didn't cover himself in glory, did he? Oh, poor old Carlos. Uh, you know, he, he misjudged. The uh, width of his car and the closeness of that barrier, but it was he was just really taking that too quickly. Yeah, I th- I think the the challenge was is that the, the 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 angle that he went in to that runoff area, he was too shallow, really mm-hmm. approaching that uh, the polystyrene barrier setup. So the speed he was carrying, combined with the fact that he was going in a little bit too shallow, he just you know he was never going to make it round there. Um, pretty big impact as well. It was good to mm-hmm. see him, you know, get out relatively happy or comfortable, should I say. Um, but yeah, it was, it was unfortunate because I'd have liked to have seen how he did in the race. Uh, it's just one of those first typical first turn corner, uh, incidents where you just seem to see these people kind of, you know, everyone's all over the place. And, and I think they were second quickest, um, in the race simulations on Friday on that hard compound tire. And in the end, there was only about a tenth or two tenths of a second difference between the medium and the hard. So uh, I think, you know, McLaren were on for a a good result there. And of course, the downside was that uh, Lando Norris was also impacted by that because he had to get out of the way of, um, of Carlos and that sort of put him back in the pack as well. Yeah, it did. I I felt for Lando a little bit, actually. Um, You know, he's driven with such maturity over the last well majority of the season really he's just looked fantastic considering how long he's been in that car compared to some of the rest of the field um you know that some of the excitement actually came from lando's scrap here alex uh, albon and george russell as well you know that's quite interesting to watch some of the more mm-hmm. exciting elements of the race but um it just looked like he was kind of hanging on to the car all afternoon it wasn't not, something wasn't right for him he certainly made some uh, complaints about uh, steering feel uh, after the incident because he ran through a lot of debris after mm. Carlos's shunt. Um, uh, so whether he he just didn't feel 100% in the car uh, or not is uh, is you know, there for debate. But um, you know, finishing in 15th, I think he was a lap down as well. So obviously not his best weekend, but um, but you know, he'll he'll come again. Yeah, and uh, of course that gap between um, McLaren, who was sitting pretty in third, uh, has now closed up quite considerably between themselves and Renault and and Racing Point as well. Now you mentioned, uh, I mean, I remember uh, watching um, that uh, that battle between Russell Albon and Norris, and I think everybody has said that's probably the best battle of the whole race, and it was you know way down the back. Um, But we've got to talk about Albon as well because again, um, in qualifying, 
um, not his best qualifying either. Okay, he started 15th with a five-grid slot penalty, but there was such a big gap between himself and Max in qualifying pace. Max um, started in P2, and um, as I say, it was... I'm trying to look... I'm just trying to see exactly what the uh, the time difference was, but it, it was quite substantial. It's got to be a worry for Christian Horner. I think it is. Um, more, more worrying for... For Alex himself, I think, you know, he's going to be really feeling it. The way he comes across, he comes across as a really nice kid. You know, he's polite, he's he's friendly, he's always got time for people, etc. I'm not sure he's got the ruthless streak in him to make this work or maybe stamp his feet a little bit more. I'm not sure that you're going to see that from him at the moment. Maybe he almost feels a little bit too privileged to be where he is at the moment because that move happened so quickly. Um, but him, you know, scrapping about at the back, it's only going to have increased the pressure on him. But the, um, the thing is that, but he handled the the Red Bull last year, and you know, in, when he took over from Gasly, though, that's what I don't understand is that he could have got his first podium in Brazil. He handled it well now, and it's just what's happened. Like, I mean, look, one explanation is that because he hasn't been able to get a good hold on it, um, and that Max has, is that the engineering side sort of start to to go down the direction of, of Verstappen. And then once you go down so far in that um, sort of that setup direction or, you know, what the car can do and, and, and so much input coming from um, Verstappen because he's doing well in it, then if there's too much of a difference in driving styles, then you've got a driver who is going to drive the wheels off it because it's been sort of tailored to him and another guy who's like struggling. But that could that wasn't the case with Gasly at the start of the season last year, but I can understand why that is the case now. Yeah, and look, I, I, there's, don't forget, there's always an element of luck in this as well. Mm. Alex hasn't been horrific; he hasn't driven no, terribly. No. You know, he's had some bad results from some bad luck as well. Um, I think your point around direction of um, of development of the car, etc. You know, Red Bull, without going into mega detail, I think they've probably got a little bit previous of, of favoritism within the uh, you know the team as well um, from the upper hierarchy. Probably they want Max obviously to go out and they want him to. They probably realise that he's their one real chance of genuinely challenging the Mercs when uh, Alex at the moment isn't probably going to do that. But um, you know, it's it's not necessarily just down to driving ability. Alex Albon isn't in that car because he got lucky. He's in that no. car because he's a genuine talent. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the couple of results that could have gone his way that haven't, maybe things would be slightly different now. Um, but as you say, he's going to be feeling the pressure. Horner's going to be asking questions. You know, they're going to be looking at the situation very carefully, for sure. And, I mean, it's one point through, I'm just looking at it, it's, it's over a second a difference in quality three um, uh, between Max and, and and Alex, which is is quite a gap, but look, yeah, and and as you say, he's. A, I think it's just like he needs a reset in the same way that that Gasly did. Because the, the question is, and I think we, I can't remember whether we've covered this. I have so many conversations um, about F one in the weeks in between our podcast. Um, is is whether or not Red Bull will have Gasly available when they want him because. You know, I know that they're sort of talking up this fact that, that you know, AlphaTauri are going to be that sort of a team in their own right and they're going to be a sister team, they're not going to be the junior team, etc. But, you know, will they have a car that can compete for podiums and wins? Because that's what Gasly is going to want. That's what Gasly is going to want. Or will he end up somewhere like Renault if, if Esteban Ocon doesn't um, do well against, you know, uh, the, team killer, the, uh, the, the, the teammate killer in Fernando Alonso next year at Renault? Yeah, it'd be an interesting uh, an interesting option for Gasly. I think uh, you know the the well, French. Uh, yeah, precisely. Um, and if that car continues to develop the way it seems to be at the moment, mm. um, you know that's certainly going to be something to, to to make him think. I mean, I don't think uh, the the AlphaTauri is going to be. It's not going to challenge next year. Maybe 
bit more developed, maybe it become a little bit more, more dominant, maybe within that sort of mid pack. But I can't see it suddenly being in a, a racing point situation where actually there's a sniff of a, a good podium from time to time or even better if, if things don't go quite the, the right way for teams like Mercedes and Red Bull. So, um, yeah, it's, it's the, the lottery at this stage of the year when conversations are being had, everyone's being heavily scrutinised uh, and that kind of merry-go-round starts. Um, I think it's going to be quite fun to watch this year. And, of course, the other thing is, you know, 2022, the new regs come in. They've been delayed for a year. Um, and that is also a bit of a lottery. So does he say, I'm going to stick with AlphaTauri because or they could nail it? Uh, or does he, if he if he got an offer from Renault because of the French connection, because, you know, and this is all on the supposition that, um, you know, Ocon doesn't do as well next year. And then he's a Mercedes driver anyway. He was only over there for two years at Renault uh, on loan, if you like. Um, but does, you know... Does Gasly go? You know what? I'm 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 going to jump, or does he just stay where he is? Because we just don't know what's going to happen as far as the two, uh, 2022 cars. Such are the regulations changing so much. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a massive gamble. I mean, I, I think we talked last week about you know the, the the guys that just were in the wrong seat at the wrong time. You know, and they made those decisions from time to time where they just thought, you know, what if I'd have sat sat where I was, or maybe if I'd have made that move, things would have been different. Um, it's a huge gamble. Those reg changes for 22 are going to be, you know, well, they are extreme and someone's going to nail it. Um, you know, you can't go on previous form. I think it really resets the pack. Um, you mentioned Oak on there, John. Um, I thought he had a pretty good weekend this time. Uh, hmm. Probably his best in terms of overall performance. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And, you know, he, he made it into Q3. Uh, he started from seventh, and in the end, where did he end up? He was finished seventh. Seventh, yeah. So you know, again, another one who um, who, who finished where he started. So it was a better weekend from from him as well. But again, you look at the difference in in quality times between um, Ricardo and um, and Esteban Ocon, and there wasn't much. Um, they, no, one was fifth, one was seventh, but there was still three tenths of a second, which isn't huge. That's definitely bridgeable, but. Again, it's just, you know, he's just not quite there. But his first season back, I suppose, he certainly deserves another season and he's going to get it anyway, isn't he? Yeah, I think he probably will. I think he probably will. And it, there, were, there were just there were green shoots this yeah. this weekend. I think there were green shoots. And and, and seeing, um, do you know what it was? I feel like there was a, almost an air of a lot of drivers out there starting to feel that pressure that we've just talked about. And People driving for their careers now. They're driving mm. for their F1 drives, their seats. Um, and he was certainly one of them. There's a bit of fight uh, that he put up. And, um, you know, like you say, he'll, he'll get that season. It's whether he can handle the heat of Fernando next season. That, that, that really, that will make or break him. I think. Yeah, that's, that's definitely going to be tough. Now, we haven't uh, talked about Ferrari, and I know you're dying to, um, <laughs> particularly because it was a good result in the end for Charles Leclerc. He, he did pretty well in the, in the Red Bullet. Um. I think Charles, personally, I think he was one of the drivers of the day, mm. um, you know, to manage his tyre situation throughout the race. You know, the, the only question it throws up, obviously, great result coming in sixth, obviously, outperforming what that car is probably capable of. What is Seb doing? Yeah, you know, yeah. um, that, that's, has he given up? I'm not sure. I mean... He's obviously not a massively happy bunny with the car at the moment. Um, it's clearly not to his liking. And they're not going to turn it around for him now. It's just not going to happen. They're just going to continue to invest all their time and energy and resource into Charles and making sure that he gets the very best results on the weekend that he can. But, um, yeah, it's uh, it was a, a bizarre situation for, for Seb, obviously finishing where he did. Um, you know, and a lap down, miserable qualifying after the crash. 
um, yeah, he just looks like he doesn't want to be there at the moment. Yeah, he's um, already thinking of next year, I think, and and, and driving a uh, a pink Mercedes. Um, yeah, it was, and you know, it was sad to see what happened to him. He brought out the safety car, of course. Um, mm. But yeah, you do start to wonder. You think is it? I mean, it won't happen. But does he just go? You know what? This year, the rest of this year, I just, I'm just going to take the year off, refresh, and come back. It'll never happen. Well, I don't think it'd happen. But I could sort of understand why he'd be thinking that. Yeah, maybe. Maybe he doesn't want to be there, but I think he's a pro. I think he'll see it out. You know, yeah. he'll just suck it up and deal with it. Um, but look, back to Charles, just for a second, it was an outstanding drive, I thought, um, and, and rightfully acknowledged, uh, you know, throughout the paddock and obviously uh, through the socials as well. I think he did a great job. Yeah, he did. Um, my uh, the, the person I wanted to highlight here, and it was pretty much uh, for the race start anyway, I'm not sure if you got to see the onboard of Kevin Magnuson's race start. Now, remember, he started down in 18th. He gained nine places. And if you get an opportunity, go and take a look at the Formula One website and look for that race start. It is amazing. I mean, just down into, not turn one, but down into turn two. Um, he, he, he dukes it out with Raikkonen off the line, um, and Raikkonen starts obviously behind him. He makes his way to the inside of the right-hand side as they go through turn one, but then just perfectly places the car, perfect amount of braking into turn two. And then, of course, he gained a few more places because of what happened at um, the exit of two with Carlos Sainz. But that, for mine, was um, incredible to see. Not that we saw it on the broadcast footage. You've got to go and dig for that a little bit more. No, you know what? I did I did stumble across it this week, uh, or, or yesterday, sorry, after the race. And uh, I have to say, guilty as charged, I didn't watch it because, quite frankly, uh, you know, after the conversation we had about drivers keeping their seats, etc., uh, <laughs> last week, uh, I couldn't bring myself to watch it. The one I did watch, ironically, uh, was Romance because someone posted something about uh, being uh, going around the outside of people. And Grosjean made a couple of fantastic moves around the outside. Uh, of some of the other drivers and um but he finished in 17th a lap down and it's like why, why are we what are we getting so excited about um you know i'm kind of just i'm just turned off of Haas at the moment they're not doing it for me those two no that's right and of course you know the question continued to bubble away as to whether or not perez is going to be the next year or does he just say you know what i'm not prepared to do another year in a car trundling around the back particularly when he you know waited so long to get something that was going to fight towards the front and does he just say you know what f1 thank you very much i'm off to america I'm going to get paid good money there. I've got good sponsors. I can go and um, you know be a star over there, closer to home. I can I can really see that happening more and more. Yeah, um, we we covered it obviously in terms of mm-hmm. uh, that that opportunity. I think is a great one for him. I think it's the right one for him. Um, I, clearly, there's conversations going on with Haas. Of course, there are, and probably a couple of other teams up and down the grid because of the money that he brings. But um, if, if I was him, I think he'd be mad not to to maybe consider doing some IndyCar for a little while. Uh, feeling that love that we discussed last week and uh, and then coming back fresh, feeling positive, feeling pretty pumped for 22 if you can get a decent drive then. Yep, indeed. Well, um, there we go. That is uh, the Russian Grand Prix uh, ticked off, done and dusted for uh, another year. I mean, I thought it was uh, not a bad race, but again, pretty much because we had... Um, more action down the back. There wasn't really that much happening at the front. It was all the sort of the bits and pieces that went on um, in the midfield and, and a little bit further behind. But if I give you the opportunity for a driver of the day, who would you give your driver of the day to? Personally, uh, I, I mean, I know who won the vote, uh, the fan vote, but I, I would go personally with Charles, not just because I'm a Ferrari fan and I'll probably get, <laughs> I'm going to get a lot of grief for that, John. I know I am, but 
I honestly think what he managed to do with the car, considering the the the, the trough that that team find themselves in at the moment, and, and believe me, it's that you know it's tough to watch at times. But I I think he did a great job, and I think he should have been up there. He was second in the vote anyway. I mean, Max came came in uh, in first, I think. But um, no, for me, it, it was Charles. Okay, see, the, the, for, for me, I, I'm I'm going to go with Checo Perez. He he started fourth. He finished fourth. He, you know, you didn't really see that much of him, but you know, he he fought off Daniel Ricciardo. He got ahead of him. I think they'd swap places. And for mine, you know, he kept his head down. He kept his nose clean, and he was in a car that wasn't even the upgraded one. So for mine, um, not that it's controversial, but it's probably not what um, it wasn't in the driver uh, of the day vote. Really, was it on the uh, F1 website? But I'm going to go with uh, Checo Perez. But um, Jimbo, thank you very much for your time once again, mate. And, uh, of course, we will chat again to you after what the Eiffel Grand Prix is coming up. That's uh, the next one. And, of course, it's just great to have a, a proper full season of Formula One as it should have been. Okay, so uh, there we go. James Underhay with his assessment of the Russian Grand Prix. One final thing I wanted to talk about, and it was just quickly, was about um, the greatness, if you like, of uh, Lewis Hamilton or who is the best driver. Uh, Matt Bishop had put a tweet out that had a picture of Michael Schumacher, uh, Lewis Hamilton, Fernando Alonso, and uh, Jensen Button and said, who do you think is the the greatest or the best? Or I can't remember exactly what the question was, Um, but uh, you you get my drift. And uh, I replied, and I said, I think Alonso is, and you know, because he hasn't been beaten by his teammate for one, and of course that wasn't correct, completely correct uh, for people to pull me up on that. I'd forgotten that, well, I hadn't forgotten. I, I had just hadn't um, done my research correctly on the uh, McLaren Honda years, and Jensen had beaten him by about four points in one of those years that they were together at McLaren Honda, and of course, uh, Lewis fanboys were very, very quick and very vocal and very fanatical to point out that uh, even though they had finished on equal points when they drove for McLaren in 2007, that Lewis had actually beaten Fernando Alonso. Uh, anyway, um, so that, that was two. And, of course, I, I haven't since mentioned that, obviously, uh, Jensen Button beat Lewis Hamilton in 2011 at McLaren. And, of course, Lewis Hamilton got beaten by Nico Rosberg in uh, 2016 in the Mercedes. But anyway, let's not get into it. But the reason why, and I'm, I've never been a particular Alonso fan at all, um, 2007, I could say I was, I actually disliked the guy because of what happened that year with Lewis Hamilton and him and the whole wider Spygate uh, story. And then roll on into 2008. It didn't really kick off until 2009 about the whole Crashgate. And you know what? I thought at that time, I, I'm not a fan. And, and as I say, I wasn't a, a, a fanboy or a big fan of him anyway. Uh, I don't tend to follow drivers like that. I, I'm more sort of, I follow teams. But, um, you know, I, I was not a fan of him. So this is not sort of coming from a scenario of, oh, you know, I was always a fan of Fernando Alonso and, you know, he's my favorite driver. No, what I, I, I got to the point where in 2012, I, I stopped looking at what happened with Alonso out of the car and, and what sort of occurred with him um, out of the car, I suppose, is the best way to put it, and started looking at what he could do in the car, and in 2012, he was maybe in the third best 
car that year, and yet he got within three points of that year's Drivers' Championship just behind Sebastian Vettel, took it all the way down to the line at the Brazilian Grand Prix. And as I say, I think the McLaren, and certainly obviously the Red Bull was faster that year, but the Lotus wasn't too far off either um, as far as being pay- as pacey as the Ferrari is concerned. And then you look at 2013, and he was probably in maybe the maybe the third best car, but probably the fourth best car because that Lotus of that year was was very quick and it had um, Kimi Raikkonen in it, uh, Romain Grosjean. And I think that that Lotus was probably the third quickest car behind the McLaren and, of course, the Red Bull. But who was second in the Drivers' Championship in the fourth best car? Fernando Alonso. And that was, a, you know, that was across a season. And, okay, the, the points difference wasn't as close as it had been the year before in 2012 when it was like three points, but he was still second. And it was, I think, 25, 30 points. I did look it up a couple of days ago, and it's gone from my memory. But, he, you know, to get that sort of performance out of what was, you know, at best the third best car, that is a driver who can get the best out of a, a crap car. And a, a crap only in compared to what he was, you know, um, dra- ri- uh, dra- driving against. And that, for me, is why I think he's a better driver. If you put both of them into the same car, both of them in a Mercedes, let's say, I think Lewis would probably pip him most, but you know what Lewis does very well is that mental game. But then again, Alonso's not too bad at that either, is he? Um, but for me, what clinches it is that when you put them both into a bad car, I think Alonso can get better results, and I think he's shown that consistently. Lewis is lucky that he's, you know, and sorry, and don't mean lucky in a bad way, as in you know he's he's put himself in the right place in the right car at the right time to be able to achieve what he's been able to achieve. But he's never really been in a in a bad car, and I don't think we've ever really seen what he could do um, in a, in a bad car. Whereas I think you know Alonso, you look at two thousand and thirteen, Alonso was in the fourth best car, Lewis was in the second best car, but Alonso was second in the drivers' championship. You know, so I, that's that's how I rated that. That's the reason why I um, I judged it that way. It's not any any anti Lewis sentiment at all. It's not any pro Alonso sentiment at all. I just think Alonso's a better driver. But anyway, there we go. Um, that was my little two cents worth. Yeah, so there we go. That is the Pitbox podcast for another week. Um, if you've got any feedback, please send it into uh, well, either via our uh, Twitter or Instagram. Uh, plus, you can email pitboxpodcast at gmail, the old way. And uh, we'll uh, obviously do our best to, to respond to you. And, and, and even if you've got something you want to talk about and you'd like us to talk about, Just let us know. Subscribe. We're now on Spotify as well, by the way. Obviously on the Apple Podcast uh, uh, platform as well. Hoping to talk to a Lewis fan this week as well. Not a fanboy. There is a big difference. Um, But I hope everything's going well, Wayne, and maybe we'll be able to do that next week. But uh, yeah, that's it for this week's episode of the Pitbox Podcast. Next week, we're going to preview the Eiffel Grand Prix from the fantastic Nürburgring.